I um, realized that uh, I didn't introduce myself. Several people came up and said, who are you? (laughs) So that's great. Um, My name is Arena Wiseman and um, I moved to this area from Northampton a couple of years ago and just moved to San Francisco. But it's so freezing, I'm living on Twin Peaks, that I'm thinking of moving back to Oakland. (laughs) So how is the sound? A number of people said they were having difficulty. Perfect, great, okay. So I also wanted to welcome us in our diversity, uh, those of us who are here as queer or straight, or as um, our elders or as our youth. It's always a pleasure to have um, that diversity as um, able-bodied and partially disabled or disabled. I um, have joined that community and it's been a total pleasure. Uh, For um, those of us who have been formally educated in in institutions and those of us who have been informally educated, those of us who are veterans and those of us who are non-veterans, those of us who have come from poor uh, working class backgrounds and those of us who have come from wealthier ones, those of us who might be poor now or wealthy now, those of us who've come from different religious traditions, it's like just naming it. We have such richness. Um, And um, often in spiritual traditions, we uh, feel or we uh, are mistaken in thinking that in having a spiritual practice, We become one or we transcend our uniqueness and diversity to melt into one indistinguishable mass. But in my own experience and spiritual practice, it's the opposite. That it's actually by acknowledging who I am in all my expressions and history that I find my way to my heart and through my heart to the hearts of everyone else, and that it is in our diversity or our uniqueness and differences that um, we actually begin to shine. So, um, welcome then, (laughs) welcome all of us in our diversity and uniqueness. So I uh, I wanted to talk about um, the practice of making an effort, and I, I want to talk about it because some of you might have um, heard that I had back surgery um, about a year and a half ago, and 
spent many, many months in bed and, and many months then um, really working hard to heal and strengthen. I, after my surgery, I couldn't pick up a cup like this. I didn't have any strength. And it's amazing when um, the back is injured, you realize that you need your back for everything. And so I did acupuncture and I did osteopathy and physical therapy and I walked and I swam and I went to a therapist. I, I went to the Process Work Institute in Oregon. I did everything I could think of because I really wanted to heal and I made this incredible effort. And then in December, this December, I went to visit my mother in South Africa and I was there for four weeks and then I I went to... I just did a lot of traveling and all, a lot of that effort dropped. And I had assumed that because I'd gotten so much better that I was sort of then I could coast. You know, it's like, I don't know if any of your surfers, you paddle, you paddle, you're there, the wave is coming, you you put all that energy into getting onto the surfboard or, or right, right, and then you just, and then you're coasting, you know? And I love I, I can't surf now, but I used to really love surfing. And I realized I couldn't coast. I realized because my back had a kind of relapse and the pain increased. And I was like, oh my God, I, my back is functional as long as I make this effort. And I realized that I had to bow down to effort and to really relook at the ways I had made effort in terms of my healing. And it also really helped me to inquire then into the kinds of ways that I make effort in my spiritual practice. Actually, they're not so different. And I realized that there was some place where my effort was always goal-oriented, that I was making an effort for, for a particular experience, in the case of my back, to be pain-free, and that actually the kind of effort that the Buddha invites us to make is the actual refuge when we take refuge in the Dharma, that we are actually taking refuge in effort rather than in the product or the goal of the effort. So that when we meditate, for example, and our minds wander, we come back, and it's in the coming back, the Buddha says, that the mind is strengthened. It is, isn't in the actual experience once we're back. So that the practice becomes the continual effort that we make and that it is the effort that we're taking refuge in. And 
it's a whole different way of looking at it. I have a student who um, has been in a very, very long, drawn-out court case, and I was on the phone with her, and she was talking about how she had had to do this research and that research, and her lawyer said this and that, and I and how overwhelming it was, and how awful it was, and um, the there's been an extension in the hearing, and so on and so forth. And I said to her, "Wow, I'm so moved at the effort you've made. You know, you did this research. You've been diligent about taking care of yourself. Can you appreciate your effort?" And that really is not, it is the refuge as well, not only making the effort, but then turning towards it and appreciating it. That's taking refuge in the practice of the Dharma. And the amazing thing is that we each and all make so much effort and yet have so much difficulty appreciating and seeing the effort that we make because it is the effort and the origin of the effort that is actually where we begin to see our goodness and where we begin to actually see ourselves as Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So, for example, when I look at myself and when we look at ourselves, we can see, oh my God, I'm grumpy here and I'm angry here and I'm so scared here. I've been the last, either with my back and also with some of my early childhood trauma, have been working with so much fear recently. And I look at that and if I look at that, it seems like, I'm a total failure. I'm just a failure in my Buddhist practice. I'm, I could even see myself as a failure as a human being because I'm experiencing all these really difficult emotions. And yet, when I turn and look at the incredible effort I make in my life to be diligent in my practice, I meditate every day. When I wake up in fear, I get up and I I say, okay, Arena, you have to do some walking meditation back and forth in your room because you know that really helps calm the mind. That when I have um, overwhelmingly negative thoughts or incredible irritation driving my car, I'm like, oh, honey, you know... <laughs> You're doing such a good job. You, you know, you're hanging in there. And I look at the effort and then I see, wow, that is so beautiful that I'm making such an effort in the space of, of the challenges of life. And not only is that something that actually we can all bow down to, the efforts that we make. But also we bow down to the understanding that for every effort we make, it's actually creating a wave in the world 
of goodness. And it reminds me of, I'm in a group called Uncovering Our Hearts, Exploring White Privilege. And I was talking yesterday, I was talking to someone in the group about Ansong Suu Kyi, who, for those of you who don't know, is um, uh, a leader of the democratic movement in Burma. And she has been under house arrest for, I think, about 15 years now. She had the opportunity to leave Burma, and she refused because she felt that her presence in the country was so important in keeping the democratic movement alive that basically she's giving her life to keeping that alive. In, you know, in the face, as you know, of incredible repression by the Burmese hunter or generals, so um, someone had asked, someone had asked on Sung Suki when she had had a little window of being able to um, leave her home before being rearrested again, how are you managing? And she said, I'm managing because I have a meditation practice. And I, I um, came across this book by um, Upandita called In This Very Life. Well, Sharon Salzberg had, had helped edit that book, and Sharon had said, I had no idea in making that effort in helping to bring about this book the incredible repercussions that book is having in the world. And so when we acknowledge our efforts, we're also acknowledging that there are incredible repercussions that our efforts make that we don't know. I feel so moved when I think about the efforts of the efforts of the Buddha and how when he said, I want to really feel my full humanity, how he then said, in order to do that, I know I have to realize or grow these ten qualities, which are called the parameters. And I know that um, you've probably heard many um, uh, Dharma talks on them, but just to say them again for those of you who are new, when the Buddha realized that he wanted to fully bring his dignity to fruition, when he wanted to become free by growing particular qualities that live in our heart, he saw that those qualities were generosity and ethical living and renunciation. That is that renouncing what, what is an obstacle to love and um, truthfulness and patience and wisdom and determination and loving kindness and equanimity, that he saw that it was these qualities in particular he needed to make an effort to grow. And so he said, I'm going to dedicate all my lifetimes or we could just say one lifetime if you don't believe in reincarnation, to growing these qualities. It's, it's 
so moving to hold people who are alive or who have been alive and who've died who in some way have dedicated their lives by making an effort to grow those qualities. And I think of Mary Willenscroft, who who came up with the first manifesto of women having freedom and and, um, deserving equity, equality in society. Can you imagine in the 16th century... You know, in that era, a woman having that vision and writing a manifesto about women's equality and making that effort, having no idea again the impact of that on future generations and every generation picking it up and, and in some way enlivening that, making an effort to enliven that. And that effort is both in refusing to believe the negative messages that have come from sexism that are living inside of, of each of us as a woman and also acting in society, making an effort to act in some way to realize that vision of equity. The impact of that, of of making an effort and the waves that it brings. Because so much of the time we feel as though we're living in isolation and that our effort doesn't make a difference. You know? And the Dharma actually says exactly the opposite. That each moment we make an effort, it actually brings about a change inside of us and it brings about a change in the world. There is this just exquisite law that says that for every intention and effort that comes from the intention, we are actually changing the conditions of our being and changing the conditions of the world. And it is from that faith that the Buddha and Aung Su Su Kyi, and actually I think all other revolutionaries have been able to make the efforts that they've made. So uh, just to mention, because I happened to pick up a New Yorker, there was an article in the New Yorker about what's going on in Guatemala, and it said that there was a man in the Human Rights Commission in the Catholic Church who decided to actually write all the abuses that he knew about and that had um, been communicated to the priests in the church and also to write the names of the perpetrators because I don't know if you know that during the civil war in Guatemala there was more killings and murders and beatings than in the Iraq war, tremendous amount of murder taking place and that when there was a peace accord, none of the people who had perpetrated the crimes of torture and murder were held accountable. And so and so because there was no accountability, a lot of the people who had perpetrated those crimes kind of morphed off into the criminal world and are continuing in one form or another. And so the sky knowing he would be murdered, because he was, wrote the names 
of all the crimes and the people who committed them. And in reading that, I feel so moved by that courage and that effort, just the effort. And that's why the Buddha talked about right effort in the Eightfold Path as being such an important quality to practice because it brings about a transformation. When I was sitting a three-month retreat at IMS, there were all these Dharma talks every night. And over and over again, there were Dharma talks about right effort, make effort, make effort, make right effort. And as someone who's been a perfectionist and driven, I totally rebelled against all those talks about right effort. I felt like, give me a break, you know. I'm like so tight already, and I'm so driven already, I don't want to hear about right effort. And so actually, you know, I haven't actually said this before publicly, I just didn't go to Dharma talks. (laughs) You know, I was like, that is enough, you know. And the thing is, the thing is, the kind of right effort the Buddha was talking about wasn't that type of striving. Okay, I'm going to lick this meditation. I'm going to do it, you know. I'm going (laughs) to... I'm really going to watch my breath. (laughs) Or, Or the other part was... I'm going to be the best meditator, watch me. You know, I'm really going to make an effort. Because that kind of effort, actually, if we inquire into it, is seated in a belief that we're inadequate, that there is something wrong with our lives, and that because there's something wrong, we need to make this tremendous effort to change who we are and how we are by achieving something. That isn't actually right effort. Right effort comes from taking the refuge. It comes from taking the refuge in this understanding that we actually are Buddhas already that we have everything we need inside of us and in relationship to each other, and that the effort is about awakening that. It is about awakening the love that lives there and the patience that lives there and the truthfulness that lives there and our capacity to be determined and our compassion and our equanimity and joy. It is saying we already are exquisite human beings because we have these energies living inside of us. They are there as potential and as newborns often. But it is because they are there that we are Buddhas and deserving, deserving of of unlimited self-respect, unlimited, unbounded self-respect. 
And it is in this respect for that dignity that we bow down in an effort. So the effort comes from love, and it comes from compassion, and it comes from the sense of, I get an intuition, I have an intuition of this dignity inside of myself as a human being, and I want to awaken it. And I know, even though I'm sometimes caught in fear and irritation and anger and judgment and blame and envy and jealousy, and sometimes it's not such a sometimes, sometimes it's more than sometimes, you know, even though I'm caught in those energies, I still sense that there's something more. And that something more is what brings each one of us here. And that when we turn towards it and acknowledge it, it becomes the ground from which we make an effort. So when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, ah, or if I can't sleep and I watch frustration coming, the effort I make to get up and start doing walking meditation comes from knowing that there is love there and that I want to reconnect to it and that there is compassion there and I want to reconnect to it. And it is that effort then that is dedicated to that reawakening and reconnecting that is gentle and kind and knows when to stop and take a rest and knows when to start again. So it is this loving and kind and gentle effort that is such an incredible blessing. And, um, and then going back and going back to that retreat and what um, was said over and over again, Joseph Goldstein loved to talk about right effort and he said the Buddha in the suttas talks about right effort more than he talks about right mindfulness. Finding my way back to that and seeing what Upandita was saying, which is there's that potential there, but without picking up the match and striking the matchbox, it remains a potential. We have to pick up the match and we have to strike the matchbox. And that effort is striking those potentials and awakening them inside of us. And without right effort, it won't happen. And so we could say that our healing or our coming home to ourselves as human beings and the dignity of human beings rests on right effort. So this right effort, which is caring and compassionate and soft, also asks for two particular qualities that um, the suttas talk about. Because we can make an effort, like, you know, I came over the bridge today and I don't know why the traffic has this last week been even worse than normal. It took over an hour and I left early so that I wouldn't hit the five o'clock traffic. So, you know, I'm driving. And I watched that 
part of my mind that doesn't want to make an effort, you know, so I put the radio on. And because <laughs> and <laughs> I just, I want to be in that surfing mode, you know, like where I'm just driving and I'm not having to make that much. And then I, I catch myself and I, you know, and I turn the radio off. And I see my resistance to calling up that energy because that the two qualities that are needed, and this is that takes that kind of energy, is to actually connect with the experience. So it's called vichaka and vichara, the initial sustained focus and attention on the experience. I was like, ah, ah, you know, hit that slight resistance and not just am I making an effort, but am I bringing my energy to connect with my experience right now? Am I connecting? And then, am I sustaining my connection? So it's those two energies that are being asked of us over and over again. So the gentleness of and the vision that inspires that initial okay, and then it's that calling forth our attention to Am I really connected right now with what my experience is? Because it takes that as well to bring about the transformation and the purification of our beings, those two qualities of initial connection and sustained connection in the environment of energy and love. So, right effort. So... um, then the the last thing I wanted to say about it was that the effort that, uh, was to come around in a circle the the effort is brilliant whether it achieves whatever objectives we've set out for or not and this is a beautiful um, I don't know if you all know this it's Eduardo Galeano totally beautiful um, um, writer. So he's talking about um, uh, Darcy, uh, Darcy Ribeiro. The Sorbonne confers the title of Dr. Honoris Causa on Darcy Ribeiro. He accepts, he says, on the merit of his failures. Darcy has failed as an anthropologist because the Indians of Brazil are still being annihilated. He has failed as rector of the university because the reality he wanted it to transform proved obdurate. He has failed as minister of education in a country where illiteracy never stops multiplying. He has failed as a member of a government that tried and failed either to make agrarian reform or to control the cannibalistic habits of foreign capital. He has failed as a writer who dreamed of forbidding history to repeat itself. These are his failures, and these are his dignities. And I think of Nelson Mandela and that...
experience of being in prison and in prison in some way he talks about how he felt like he had failed. And I think of my parents as freedom fighters in South Africa and how they felt they had failed when we had to leave the country in the 60s. And I think so much of how those failures in the early parts of the movement are their dignities and how much really each of our failures in our efforts are our dignities and to see them that way so that our efforts aren't about achieving perfection or even success. Our efforts are our dignities and their failures in the outcome are our dignities and become the inspiration actually for our continued effort making. So, and then just to, um, just to, uh, in terms of the efforts we make and um, the outcomes, I don't know if any of you know Rabbi Alan uh, Liu. He's a very famous um, rabbi considered extremely spiritual, and he says, after 20 minutes of yoga, 45 minutes of meditation, 40 minutes of prayer, a half hour of exercise and a half hour bath, I felt pretty good for a few minutes. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> The thing is, he, did, he still does it every day. <laughs> so, I bow down to our efforts. Do any have any thoughts or comments? I'd like to open it up. Any responses? Yeah. And to give the example of you driving in the car, coming over the bridge. You know, maybe we could all do it. Like if when I invited us to movement, and we could just make a movement kind of anyhow, like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to do it. So you make the movement up and down like that. And then doing the movement and really knowing that you're doing the movement, being open for the experience of it and the communication of it, sustaining that connection after the movement and what happens, knowing 
that's what the experience is. And then staying with it and staying with it. That kind of effort of bringing the mind to the experience over and over again is what becomes what Upandita talks about as the purification, that effort becomes the purification of the mind by sustaining and knowing the experience, sustaining connection to the experience and knowing it. Is that clear? And then I just realize in answering your question that I didn't say the critical part of right effort that the Buddha talked about, and that he said that making right effort was actually about abandoning and renouncing the negative energies, that is, the storylines of the negative energies, and creating the conditions that they not arise again, and then making the effort to call forth the positive energies, and then building the conditions to sustain those. So, for example, in um, in this meeting that I was in yesterday, we were doing a skit, and um, someone said, you know, someone said to us, oh, am I a man or a woman? And I, I was, it just came out of my mouth, oh, it doesn't make a difference, that's what I said. And then she said, oh, but it does make a difference. And I saw that moment of wanting to defend, you know, and Right effort is seeing the unskillful energy and because it's unskillful and shuts the heart down, abandoning it. And so swallowing that and saying, I'm sorry. You know, creating the conditions for something positive to come up. So it's that, it's an ama- I mean, it's so simple and so hard abandoning what's negative, cultivating what's positive. So again, just to say, it's not to reject or repress what's negative. It's not to say, oh, impatience, you were so, you're so bad, arena for feeling impatience, but rather to abandon the storyline that I was right in being impatient, to feel the impatience in my body, And through that connection uh, with right effort, feeling the experience, opening up, and then inviting a positive mental state by apologizing. So it's seeing over and over again how our stories lock the negative quality, the negative energies into our being. And negative, I don't like that word really because it carries so much weight. It's not so much, I mean they're uncomfortable, it's not evil or bad, it's just that those energies shut down our heart. And the effect of having our heart shut down by blame or judgment or shame or greed or hatred is that we begin to feel small and isolated. You know that those times when you feel you're alone in the world? You know, I don't mean lonely, I mean alone, like really alone. It's from a heart that's shut down. 
and it's shut down not because we are inherently alone, we're not, we're deeply connected to the web of life. It's because we've believed the storylines of those energies. So reclaiming a home for ourselves in our life is based on this practice of right effort where we are relinquishing those storylines and cultivating the conditions for the positive emotions to come, like truthfulness and generosity and loving kindness and compassion and patience and um, mindfulness and wisdom. So it's something that's so beautiful because the path is in our life and our life unfolds moment after moment, like now, what's happening. Can I bring my attention to acknowledge it? Is it skillful or is it unskillful? Is it wholesome or is it unwholesome? Can I see the thought I have that holds it in place? If it's negative, can I let go of the thought because it's shutting my heart down? which is another way of saying bringing suffering. Can I invite a different way of relating to this moment, creating the conditions for a positive expression to become alive? Thank you. So I asked um, oh, that's good. If, if you can talk a little bit more about that sustainability, um, sustaining the actual effort. I feel like we're all constantly, you know, trying to make the effort all the time and, and uh, whether it's the, the right effort or not is questionable. But in the moments when we are making the right effort, it, it seems so difficult to have that sustainability piece. Could you give me an example from, uh, make it specific for me? I've recently been doing these workshops on um, opening the heart chakra and and healing um, around uh, the heart shutting down. And even in that loving space, even in that safe space where I'm experiencing um, tremendous amounts of effort from everyone around me um, and celebrating my own, there's a level of sustainability that I have that I feel I'm not quite satisfied with. Um, And there are periods during these workshops or during the times that I'm in the presence of these people where I do feel alone and and it's hard to sustain the effort to to get to get to Bodhisattva. So I, mm. I just can you mm. talk about that piece?
I think there are a lot of different paths, so I want to say that. Um, the path for me that has, the practice for me that has been most profound is actually going on residential meditation retreats. That there's something about being in that environment that gives us the support to see our capacity to sustain through moment after moment after moment where you're in an environment like this. Like how many of you sustained your meditation because everyone else was here? You know? <laughs> I mean, it makes such a difference. So I feel like being in an, you know, not just at two hours, but being in an environment, that, that, that has been profound for me because from, from doing those retreats, I found a faith because I've touched what it's like when the heart is unbounded and free. That gives me the juice then, even if I feel far away, far, far away, to come back. So that's one. I think one thing is to go on intensive retreats. I think the other is just to do what we're doing here. I think the other is to be really creative in finding ways back. That an awakened heart isn't just about being in a church and meditating. It's about really that effort in finding what the gateway is in any particular moment in the day. So if it's like starting to sing, like that is my fallback. When I can't connect in any other way, I'll sing. And I'll, it doesn't matter. I, I can't re- actually remember that many songs. So, <laughs> so I'm, I've actually sung in driving in the car when I can't connect. You know, London Tower is falling down, falling down. <laughs> because really anything that helps us come back in again into that connection, whatever it is. Sometimes I'll have, when I've had a really hard time, I'll stand on my head. I've actually, you know, done a headstand in a toilet stall, you know, because it hasn't been kosher in my job to go into the office when I was working and do a headstand in the office. So I'll go into the bathroom and I'll do a headstand like anything to actually sustain that connection. Like, and, and I'm saying this because I was really inspired by my teacher who used to live in L.A. and the, the center where she... Um, the where she built her center was in Joshua Tree. It's a four-hour drive. And she, she would drive to the center late at night before the retreat started the next day. She would watch her mind wandering at a certain point, you know, driving through the desert. She would stop the car. She'd get out. She'd walk to the side of the road, pick up rocks over to the other side of the road and put them down. Pick up other rocks carry them across the road and put them down because any experience that brought you back, any effort that brought you back 
is the beginning of sustaining that connection. You know, so it takes tremendous creativity. And then, I mean, and this, the last thing is going back to what I said in the beginning, that every effort we make makes a huge difference in the world. It, every effort we make. Because that effort she made doing the rocks totally affected me. And it brought me to make an effort, you know. So the ways that we make an effort inspire and touch others in ways that we can never know, you know, to make an effort. And that's how a movement is, that's really how a movement is built, you know, is the different people like Mary Willenscroft or like that bishop in Guatemala, you know, or like Nelson Mandela, making the effort and the incredible effect they have on the world. If you in this minute think you're different than them and somehow it doesn't count, that's a deluded thought. Because they are no different than you are. Just in different conditions that brought their actions forth in particular ways but no different. So we have no idea about the effect of every one of our efforts on the world, knowing that. And lastly, just to say, um, one of the ways I hold what's most difficult in the world is by dedicating each of my efforts. So driving in the car, coming, turning the radio off, I dedicated it to what's going on in Syria and Libya and the Sudan. I dedicate this effort to well-being for all of you living in, that, in this part of that part of the world. So dedicating and sharing the merit Great question, thank you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is, is there any argument running in any of your heads? Like, oh no, that is rubbish. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> yes. Um, so does one actually just have to explore to find out what helps them connect? Yeah. Explore. Exactly. And for each of us, it's a little different what really supports it. But the biggest thing that helps us is the intention, just to keep wanting to. So that, you know, when I and when we, for if those of us, maybe someone can say how it was when you first started to meditate. You know, it was like our minds just going all over the place, right? Just like one, not even one breath, like a fraction of a breath and off. And then 20 minutes later, a fraction of a breath and off. And just that intention, okay, I'm coming back. Okay, I'm coming back. I really want to connect. Okay, I really want to connect. Okay, I really want to connect. And acknowledging it, not just making the intention, 
but acknowledging that you made the intention. So I made the intention and I know I made the intention because that acknowledgement of the intention doubles the strength of the intention. So you do something and then you know why you're doing it and that you're doing it. It has a lot more weight. The Buddha talked about that as general comprehension in the, found, in the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness. He said you understand the purpose of what you're doing and then that gives weight to the intention. Did you have your hand up back there? No. Good. Well, um, so is that any last questions before we come to closure? Okay, so let's stand up together. something about holding hands and acknowledging that we are actually connected. That every single person here has felt fearful and lonely, has wanted to love, has made an effort to love. That we are together in this endeavor of being human. Taking a moment to acknowledge this sharing of life together. And it is in this acknowledgement that we can be moved to dedicate our efforts for the opening of our hearts and for creating the conditions for the opening of hearts everywhere so that all inequality, dis-ease ends. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your practice and your efforts and your presence here tonight. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.